0: This episode contains content that might not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. This is Breaking Bread with Brilliant Babes. I'm your host, Tatiana Jimenez. We're recording today in Emeryville, and I am joined by Chef Mona Michael. Hello. Hello. Hi! (laughs) Thanks so much for being on the show. For any first-time listeners out there, our purpose is to shed some light on everyday people doing brilliant things. I typically invite them into my home, cook a meal, and then we eat together and chat about their careers and how they got where they are today. Our guest Mona is an executive chef of a pop-up restaurant, Falaha Dining. Today we're enjoying Chef Mona Lina's traditional Palestinian hummus. So... Mona, would you start by telling us a little about what you're doing currently and your career history up until this point?
1: So currently I have started a pop-up dinner concept of my own. And before I go into that, I will talk about the progression which led up to that. So that's going to kill two birds with one stone here. (laughs) I started in the culinary world my last semester of college at SF State. I, by chance, got hired at Jardiner Restaurant, which back then I had no idea what it was and what I was getting myself into. But I always look back on it and call it the reason why I have made it to where I am today and kind of my culinary boot camp. So I started there cutting cheese and shucking oysters and just kind of with a will to learn. I figured I could make minimum wage and learn instead of going and getting into debt for culinary school.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I started there. A year and a half later, was ready for a change and got hired at Wayfair Tavern, which was a very small stint, I guess you can call it. it a few months and not much to talk about. But from there, I opened up a Japanese restaurant, Roka Accor. And then shortly after that, got my first management position opening Bartlett Hall restaurant in Union Square and that was under the chef the sous chef at the time of Boulevard uh, Emmanuel Ang and then from there cuz we don't need to talk about that either <laughs> <laughs> i reached out to an old friend of uh, who i had met through jardiner we did not work together there but he was my chef's best friend and i saw him every friday and that was Chef Deepak Call and he had been the executive chef of Serpentine Restaurant for nine, eight years at that point, and hired me as a sous chef. And that was the first job that I had where I was able to finally find my culinary voice and was given like the range to do the things that I wanted to do in terms of flavor profile and experimenting and It was pretty much, like, if I wanted to make it, he said, fuck it, go for it, do whatever you want, like, and that was where I grew.
0: That's amazing. Um, So, it kind of sounds like you, so, from that, that summary, I know it was only, like, a couple minutes (laughs) that you explained that, but it sounds like that was in, like, a short period of time. Was that over many years? that was in a
1: six-year span. Okay. So, like, Jardiner was a year and a half. Wayfair Tavern was a few months.
0: Mm -hmm. Roca
1: Core was a year. Bartlett Hall was a year. And then Serpentine was two years. And then Mm -hmm. I went off on my own.
0: Yeah. And that was, those are all, for people who don't live in the Bay Area, those are all restaurants in San Francisco, right? Correct.
1: Those are all in the city in San Francisco, yes. Yeah.
0: That's great. And... It looks like you did, You so you uh, went to school in San Francisco. Are you from San Francisco?
1: I'm actually from San Jose.
0: San Jose. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Bay Area still. Mm-hmm. Okay. What made you want to cook in, or like pursue, I guess, a career in food in San Francisco versus like other cities?
1: Honestly, I'd say, so... I came here for college and kind of, like, found myself here in a way. Uh, Like, I grew into myself and, like, who I was. And I didn't really, like, want to leave San Francisco. But I don't ever feel like that was a conscious thought of, like, I want to be a chef in San Francisco. It was Mm -hmm. more like my last semester of college or my last year of college, I was like, there is no way in hell I'm going to grad school for this. All right, what's Mm -hmm. next? Okay, I'm going to go to culinary school. And then I just accidentally got hired at Jardiniere And then just it just took off from there, so it wasn't like a ever a conscientious decision.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of like a decision you made after, or like while you were kind of still in college. Did you think before you went to college that you might want to pursue a career in food? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, in high school I was always.
1: I was always cooking and I always used to say like I want to open up a cafe in my last year of high school and like beginning years of college I did a lot of barista work and so I always imagined Mm -hmm. having a cafe but never imagined being a chef and really doing what I'm doing now yeah yeah
0: yeah and I just want to say as a home cook <laughs> someone who loves cook and you know I have recipes on the episode I'm so stoked that you made something for us today which was super delicious and I'm so excited to share the recipe on the episode and also stoked that I got like some legit tips on how to make my hummus better because from a real life yeah. Arab yeah thank you <laughs> I appreciate that <laughs> so So all of that being said, when was the moment you felt that you really broke into your industry or role?
1: I honestly think that's a really good question because I sitting here today, maybe people look at me and think I've broken in, Mm. but I actually don't see that in myself yet. Like I find myself in a great position. For like how long I've been in the industry, mm-hmm. I'm doing my own thing and it's starting to take off. But the ultimate goal is so much more than where I'm at now that mm-hmm. this is just the baby steps to get there. So yeah. the real answer to that question is I don't personally feel like I have.
0: Okay. Well, at what point did you, have you, well, I guess I'll rephrase that because that's, that's a totally like humble and honest answer. And I think actually that answer says to me that you have really, your dreams are a lot bigger than just having your own, I guess, pop-up or maybe restaurant. Like Mm -hmm. it's a lot bigger than that. And that's really exciting to me. (laughs) Um, Was the goal always to have your own thing or... Is it, it just it something wasn't. that's evolved? You know what? It wasn't. And it
1: has evolved, and it's mm-hmm. like life circumstances. Mm-hmm. When I started at Jardinier and was, like I say, in boot camp and working 17 hour days, I thought that was my life from now on. Like, that was all I had known, and I would watch my managers working from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day, and I was like, this is the life. And I- I'm okay with having that work ethic. Like, it doesn't. I, I get bored when I'm not working. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, this is life in the loom. Be a chef. Like, screw it. Like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you think when you're, like, first starting out young and fresh and not exhausted by the years of labor and the amount of holidays and special occasions that you miss doing it. And then it kind of starts wearing down on you, right? You want to be around your family more. You want to be able to go on vacation with your loved one without feeling like you're screwing over your restaurant. And so... <laughs> That's kind of where my shift happened. I was getting burnt out in terms of hours worked. Mm-hmm. And I also just wasn't, I was working to live, right? And so I made a decision about a year ago, right before I got married. I was like, you know what? I can't sustain life and a relationship and a relationship with my family and like a relationship with myself, even. Mm-hmm. And continue on this path. Yeah. The restaurant thing wasn't gonna work for me. So Mm -hmm. but neither was working for somebody else. And that's I think that's just in my genes. My whole family, they're all business owners. They're Mm -hmm. they don't work for people. And I think that's kind of just who we are as a people or as Mm -hmm. a person. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah, and and my husband kinda like talked to me and was like, dude, you know how to make good food. Just fucking pull the trigger. Just Mm -hmm. do it. So he's the one that had urged me to hit up Feastly, which is a website that hosts chefs uh, to do pop-ups. I just went for it. I hit him up. I did a tasting with them. I quit my job. And that was that. I just Mm -hmm. did it.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. And in, uh, in a past episode, in episode six, we talked to Stephanie, who talked about she's actually my cousin nepotism Mm -hmm. alert but (laughs) we talked about how like in our family you know we come from a lineage of people working for like the city or whatever like having like government jobs for long periods of time so like we don't have a lot of entrepreneurs in our family and she was super scared to just go out and start her own business but then she did it and she, I mean, it was a lot of hard work, but then she just like tripled her income and she's yeah. so much happier. Like she has all this freedom. So it's like, yeah, sometimes you need a push from somewhere to just try, right. but that's so cool that that's kind of like the norm in your family, yeah. but I'm so happy to hear that it's like going well. I <laughs> yeah. mean, most of my family was like,
1: why are you going to be a chef? <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. They all own restaurants. Uh-huh. So they're like, don't do it. And I was like... But I love it. Like I love cooking. This is my life. And they're like, no. Yeah, it's been 40 years. No, like (laughs) please. But yeah, and part of that, like that initial fear, it's really funny because I feel like it should be the opposite. In the moment, you're like, God, I'm so scared. But at the same time, if you have faith in yourself, like usually if you're breaking off from a restaurant to like open up your own place, it's because you're ready. You're sick of working for somebody else Mm -hmm. and you're ready. And that's almost like comforting knowing that you're doing it all because you don't have to rely on anybody else Mm -hmm. and hope that somebody else is doing their job. You're doing the job. Mm -hmm. So as long as you know, you're competent. I know this sounds like I am think I'm like the most competent person. There's so many times where you are like, shit, I can't do this or Mm -hmm. whatever. And you like fight through it. But If you have faith in yourself, absolutely. Success stories are going to happen.
0: Yeah. So you haven't had like a super long career, right? But did you have a mentor along the way? Which it sounds like you kind of did. And then are you now in a place where you are a mentor to others perhaps?
1: Yeah. So I would say that mentor number one was Chef Morgan at Jardin He taught me all the core knowledge that I know, like my knife skills, my palate. I mean, well, my palate is because of my mom and she's a really good cook, but he helped me understand why my palate was good Mm because I always had that like natural ability to balance and I didn't know that I was doing it. Cool. Um, But so Morgan, Chef Morgan Mueller was like my sergeant, my boot camp guy, and then Deepak, who was five years later was the mentor who gave me that freedom to Mm -hmm. really play so those are my two big ones and in this industry we're kind of all mentors to each other so just as being a manager or having been a chef in kitchens I'm a mentor to everybody and everybody's a mentor to me I can't tell you how many times a prep cook has like showed me how to do something and I'm like bro, like, that's, like, four times faster than I, like, have ever done this. Uh You know, we all can learn from each other. So the whole industry is Mm
0: -hmm. everybody
1: mentoring each other and teaching each other.
0: That's really great. Like, do you, as, like, a side question to that, I mean, I think that's really awesome, but I imagine you sometimes run into other chefs who might have egos and, like, think, like, maybe don't think the same way as you, Mm -hmm. like, that they can learn from, like, prep like prep from prep,
1: prep cooks, yeah.
0: Do you have you run into that a lot, or is that, oh, yeah, not so much the norm? Oh, yeah,
1: people have egos, okay. and like,
0: <laughs> oh my god,
1: <laughs> like to this day, uh-huh. and I, we can talk about stories another time, but <laughs> yeah, like I feel like I've gotten to where I've gone so fast because I have that common respect for all people whether they're the dishwasher the prep cook or the executive chef I'm willing to listen Mm -hmm. to whatever they have to show me and even as like the CDC at Serpentine I was this is how I want it done this is why but if you have another idea don't just do it because there's a reason why I asked you to do things a certain way but tell me about it and if it's better than my idea then we're gonna do it yep and Mm -hmm. that's just how I've always functioned not met not all chefs have that mentality Mm -hmm. it's like my way or you out like that's it
0: can i ask what cdc oh chef de cuisine okay thank you no (laughs) worries sorry (laughs) did i miss that earlier i might not have but (laughs) it's all good cool no i like learning this new (laughs) lingo that being said, what was your biggest career obstacle so far slash shittiest moment?
1: (laughs) Well, there've been lots of shitty moments. I can't tell you how many times I've come home and just cried after a long, hard day or somebody got a promotion that didn't deserve it. And I should have. So I don't have one specific shitty moment, but there's been a lot of those. The biggest obstacle has always been balancing. balancing life with work Mm -hmm. and I don't know I just feel like the culinary world I call everybody in the culinary world a masochist like we obviously like like pain and suffering in some way because it's Mm -hmm. it's exhausting it's exhausting and ruthless and thankless Mm -hmm. if you don't thank yourselves at the end of the night after you just crushed four table turns and did it perfectly. If you don't congratulate yourself, the customer doesn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. They just know that they got a good meal, but they didn't know like how hard you worked to get that on their table. Yeah. So Yeah.
0: On the opposite end of that, what do you think has been your biggest opportunity or best moment so far?
1: Biggest opportunity slash best moment. Honestly, getting this feastly thing going mm-hmm. and getting this these pop ups going and just taking that plunge has been really big and exciting for me and kind of like the pathway to all the other things that have come my way in the last year, even being on this show. I think about it, I'm like, if I hadn't ended up on Feastly, I wouldn't have all these write-ups on me and I wouldn't be on... I. I mean, honestly, before a year ago, if you Googled my name, I didn't come up, Mm -hmm. and now you Google my name, and there's, like, three
0: articles, and I'm, like, oh, I have three articles, this is amazing. And I found them, because I was (laughs) telling Caitlin, I was telling Caitlin, I was, was like, I was trying to find your girl Mona on Twitter, and I couldn't find you, but I did find articles about you from Feastly.
1: From (laughs) Feastly, yeah, it was, like, a Girls with Knives, like, Women's History Month thing, and, like... (laughs) And then like the app that I'm on, all the things I just kind of taking that plunge opened up a lot of pathways and, and I reverting back to your, one of your like previous questions about like, when do I feel like I broke into this industry? And I'm like, I don't know if I have, I guess you could call it like people see it from the outside as having broken in. They're like, wow, she's doing her own pop-ups. Ooh, she's advertising. Look at these photos. Look at all these things that she's doing. And it's brought, it's, it's gravitated people's towards me mm-hmm. and i've made a decision until i feel like i've broken into this personally mm-hmm. i'm gonna say yes to everything that comes my way even mm-hmm. if it means losing money even if it means not sleeping that night or whatever like mm-hmm. all that energy that i used to put in for other people's pockets at their restaurants like yeah. why don't i put that same energy into mine for and sure so that's where i'm
0: yeah at. the hustle The hustle, (laughs) that Bay Area hustle. (laughs) Oh, it never ends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, on this show, I also like to highlight what I call hidden talents. So things that are significant to our lives that we might not add to our resumes or are necessarily work related. So as we were just, this is a funny segue because you're always hustling. Always hustling. For your pop-up. So do you have time for other hobbies? (laughs) (laughs) To be honest,
1: my job is my hobby.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So
1: I mean like I spend my days in the kitchen Mm -hmm. cooking and then I also spend my days in other people's kitchens eating. But since I've thought about this for a little bit, Uh I do enjoy singing a lot. Oh. Um, I was super into it in high school and still enjoy it I don't Mm -hmm. do it in a choir setting or in a recording studio anymore but like Mm -hmm. it's definitely something that I do on my own if I'm home alone and feel like belting or whatever but
0: so are you saying that you would come to karaoke with us oh time
1: karaoke is literally my favorite thing (laughs) okay
0: me too it's such a good release
1: (laughs) it's such a good release it scratches that itch of like it does when like back in the day Mm -hmm. when you're like doing musicals in high school and shit and like now you don't have the time exactly I can't tell you how many like choirs (laughs) I've tried to join I'm like that schedule doesn't work for me can't do Uh, it can't do it can't do it so it's yes karaoke is
0: the one were you in musicals in high school I was
1: I was too oh my gosh
0: (laughs) we're gonna have to talk about this later (laughs) yes (laughs) oh yes oh my god I'm so excited okay (laughs) Now we're going to dive into the listener question portion of the episode. So we have a couple listener questions for you. What are the perks and challenges of having a pop-up restaurant as opposed to a permanent location?
1: So let's start with the perks. Okay. The perks are you don't have to have a service every night, which Mm. means you don't have to fill seats every night, which Mm -hmm. means you're not losing money. Okay. The other perk is being able to go to the demand Mm -hmm. and not waiting for people to come to you.
0: Because you sell tickets in advance, Correct.
1: Yeah, my pop-ups are all private ticket-only dinners Mm -hmm. right now. And Mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of more uh, licensing a little more licensing to do, like, the type where you show up at a bar and serve dumplings. You right. Got, you got okay. to do a little more than that if it's not through Feastly. Yeah, so perks. Mobility, flexibility. Mm-hmm. You get to do everything from start to finish yourself. So, like, mm-hmm. if something didn't work the last time and you weren't super into it, the next time's a whole new, fresh template to work on. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the real beauty of it is really getting to play around and, mm-hmm. Do whatever I want, and mm-hmm.
0: so for just a quick sure. side question: Do you have like a website or something? So when people sign up for a dinner, do they know what the menu is going to be? Right. So or how does that work?
1: Um, so I do have my own website, um, mm-hmm. which will co- would connect you to the Feastly website. Okay. So that's eatfeastly.com. Eat Feastly for each chef that they approve to be on their website has a chef page, mm. and then in our chef page are the dinners. That are coming up that we have posted oh, okay. and are selling tickets to with the menu mm-hmm. and past dinners. So, okay. like if, for example, you wanted to, you went onto my chef page and scrolled down. And you're like, oh, what's this menu? And you clicked it, and it was an older menu, and you really liked it. You could actually mm-hmm. request me
0: oh. to do that
1: menu again. Mm-hmm. I could do it privately. I could. Mm-hmm. If I choose to, I could do it again as a pop-up where I sell tickets. Sure. So you can see the history of my menus and the menu that is being sold at the moment.
0: Okay. That's awesome.
1: And then, I guess, what are some of the challenges, then, of lugging stuff around is exhausting. (laughs) Uh The beauty of having a brick-and-mortar restaurant is your stuff stays there. At the end of the night, you pick yourself Mm -hmm. up and your jacket and your bag and you take yourself home. But... At the end of a long night at a pop-up, it's like, okay, I got to pack my plates. I got to pack all the leftover food. I got to clean up. I have to scrub down. I have to make it spick and span because Mm -hmm. there's nobody, there's no janitorial service to clean up after me at that. So it's really like when I say you do it all, Mm -hmm. it sounds glamorous, exciting. Ooh, I get to do my floral design and pick my plates and do all this. And that's the fun part. But there's also the whole getting there five hours before your dinner to set up and make everything perfect and then oh staying God. two hours after to make sure it's clean so you don't get mm-hmm. charged a cleaning deposit yeah you know oh
0: my <laughs> it's gosh. the last thing you need yeah that's a lot of work it is a lot of work yeah oh my goodness well <laughs> that being said that leads us to our second question which is what is it like to and I've thought about this a lot because I love food shows, Mm -hmm. anything on like a lot of Netflix stuff, the Food Network, (laughs) I love the Great British Baking Show. You know, it seems like chefs and, you know, you you spend so much time working on these beautiful dishes. So this question is, what is it like to spend so much time on your quote-unquote product and then have someone immediately destroy it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) My preference is for them to destroy it and then watch the looks on their faces versus like snap 30 photos of it for like a half an hour and then let it get cold and like Mm -hmm. sog out and then eat it (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not saying like you shouldn't take a shot of a of a plate and then eat I'm saying you don't need to give every dish a photo shoot sure okay that's gonna be a great instagramable picture but Mm -hmm. you're not really enjoying the food for what it is nowadays your food has to be instagrammable it has to be pretty it i mean it just has to be it's the world that we're in now yeah there's just such a fine line Mm -hmm. between excessive and just enough and like really enjoy the food Mm because chefs really want that they want you to just eat
0: yeah that makes sense to me and it reminds me of a an article that came out probably about five years ago i remember i can't remember if it was in like bold italic or eater sf or something but It was just an opinion article on how Instagram has changed how quickly restaurants can move tables because, you know, for the first Mm -hmm. 50, like people wait 15 minutes before they start eating their food Mm -hmm. because they're taking pictures of it and posting it on the internet. And they're like, Oh my God, let's
1: go. (laughs) I mean, it's true. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've experienced that, you know, when you're, when you're in a restaurant and you're like have a multiple course table where they've ordered three mm. courses a lot of the artistry behind the scenes that you don't see is like the timing between what the server sees and what the kitchen has to do okay a lot of times brunch is a perfect example because this happens mostly in brunch okay. like the fo- the excessive photography <laughs> <laughs> yeah say like first course they get donuts Mm -hmm. which normally, if that's course one, we fire right into the second course because it's five pieces. If it's a table of four people eating five pieces of donuts, not going to take very long. should take about 30 seconds for that plate to be cleared. Mm -hmm. But then they have to take pictures, Mm -hmm. and then they have to talk about it, and then they have to post it. So meanwhile, the donuts are still sitting there, and the next course is already coming out. Mm -hmm. So it does affect that. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say in my experience that it it's affected it more than like a fifteen minute okay. longer wait on the table. I mean, but that's just guesstimation. I'm not sitting there sure. timing people. But yeah, no, yeah. that makes
0: sense. It 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 totally is. Yeah. And I mean, I'm talking a lot of shit, but I totally do it too. But I try so to why? be like, I try to be cognizant of how, <laughs> like, I'll take a picture and then I'll post it later. Yeah. So, take the photo. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or
1: take the photo, eat. And then while you're waiting for your next course, yes. post it. But yeah. don't ruin your dining yeah.
0: experience. Also, because usually I'm like really excited to eat and I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to post it Once the food <laughs> is
1: in front of me, like it's over. Uh-huh. There's no time to, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no time to post and Talk yeah. about it. It's in my mouth already.
0: Exactly. <laughs> so on that note, the next question is actually, what are your thoughts on Instagrammable spaces for restaurants? So not just taking pictures of the food, but, you know, I think especially in San Francisco, we've seen a lot of new places open up that are on these like most Instagrammable lists and they're like these brand new places. So what yeah. are your thoughts on that as like kind of like a business owner and something something to think about in the future? Right.
1: So I have a couple of thoughts on that. One, if that's your MO, then power to you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You're running a successful business with a gimmick that you've come up with, and it works, and people are coming to you for it, and you're getting publicity off it. It's great. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: For myself personally, I don't think I could just be okay with getting publicity off of this one thing that I did that happened to stick, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And which is probably why I'm doing these private pop-ups with like new menus every time it's Mm -hmm. like the flexibility of the artistry like it's an art Mm -hmm. to be able to create menus and course them and just you decide Mm -hmm. what people are eating from the start to the end of the meal it's not a restaurant where they're picking and choosing what they want to order so there's a real artistry to it Mm -hmm. and in a way I would say that the Instagrammable locations we won't name any because Mm -hmm. we all know
0: What is and what is not.
1: It's something to be envious that they've been able to make it off of an idea and cruise. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. But, like, and be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Be okay with the cruise and not need Mm -hmm. to feed that artistic soul. Like, they're just happy with what brand they've created it's consistent they're making the money they need to make to survive be happy they can probably expand because of it it's great yeah
0: yeah
1: who knows if i can up with something like i'm saying now that maybe i couldn't do it but maybe i could and then still do my pop-ups and have that like little little girl uh,
0: i'm a designer so i can help you. let's do it (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna come up with some cool stuff to instagram (laughs) oh god Uh, the next listener question that we have is, do you have any recommendations for new cooks or someone who is intimidated by cooking? Maybe like a home cook like myself.
1: First of all, always remember that every professional chef started at zero mm-hmm. at some point right. in their life. At some point, like maybe they always had that natural ability, maybe it came more naturally to them and they would have progressed faster than you but everyone started at zero Mm -hmm. and everyone worked their ass off to get where they are and it's not going to come handed to you yeah and more specifically for females that are trying to get in the industry don't play the female card do not
0: Mm.
1: ever ever in your life in a kitchen play the female card Mm. because In a kitchen, everyone should have equal responsibility. Okay. And
0: so, what do you mean by that? Don't play the
1: female card. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you could lift that pot, if you just clench your abs a little harder and like struggle a bit, do it.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: You know, Mm -hmm. don't be like, can you help me? Like, if you know that you just have to work a little harder to get it done, then get Mm -hmm. it done. And you'll be respected more. And you'll move up more and then everything will become so much easier. But if you keep relying on somebody or anybody to help you carry that
0: pot, then you're
1: never going to be able to do it on your own. Yeah. Um,
0: I think that's good advice for, like, any job. Like, don't... Right. Yeah, don't... Not just the the female card, maybe, but just the whole, like, gendered thing. Yeah. it's don't just, don't try to make yourself seem that like you are incapable of doing something that you are capable of. You are of capable of. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like a perfect example, and this sounds so simple and silly, but at um, and I won't mention any names, but at a kitchen that I've worked at, the trash needs to get taken down twice mm-hmm. a day, and mm-hmm. for some reason, they only sign the men up to do it. And in a way, it's like. You can look at it as, well, that's respectful. They don't want the girls to have to lift those heavy trash cans. Mm-hmm. But, but they can. Yeah. And they will if you put your name on that list. Mm-hmm. So why not? Mm-hmm. Because they're a girl and they shouldn't lift that heavy thing? No. Like, I'm sorry. I know I'm stronger than a lot of guys <laughs> in the kitchens that yeah. I've worked at. So, like, that's just a little a, a little example of that.
0: That's interesting. So I worked at In-N-Out Burger in high yes. school. Love it. And I, I remember it didn't matter who you are. You had to, if the trash needed to be taken out to the trash compactor, you had to do it. Yeah. And it was fucking heavy, but they didn't care. Oh, like you had to do it. I yeah. was like a 16 year old. Drag kid. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't care. No, so that was awesome. It's but part yeah. of the job description. Yeah. If absolutely. you can't complete the job description,
1: uh-huh. don't sign up for the job. Yep. That's great this advice. Kind of how I feel.
0: <laughs> If you did, do I sound like a woman hater? (laughs) (laughs) I love you, women. Not at all. Um, It sounds like you believe in women and you want them to do what they're capable of, unless they have like back issues. Yeah, don't lift things. (laughs) And that's happened to me too. Where like I hurt my back really bad on the job Mm -hmm. one time,
1: and then like the next job that I was at, like that pain continued and then people were trying to use it against me. Oh, well, you can't do your job then you shouldn't be working here. Whereas like that's different. That's an injury. That's something that I couldn't.
0: Exactly. Well, Mona, if you weren't a chef, what other types of work do you think you might be interested in?
1: Well, if I didn't (laughs) get hired at Chardonnay, I think that I would have continued forth a little bit in my initial major which was communicative disorders um I still do feel very passionate about it working with children like helping children with speech problems it's something that I hold dear to my heart but I don't think I could do it long term yeah which is kind of why I made that shift yeah but like other than that I don't see I would never be able to do something not culinary service related like maybe I won't do pop-ups in the future maybe Mm -hmm. I'll be a small time wedding or like event caterer Mm -hmm. you know there's so many options and directions to go but it would always be food and hosting base that's just like what I do yeah I've never had a nine-to-five in my life ever wow so I can't even imagine the Monday Mm -hmm. through Friday nine-to-five life like it's so bizarre to me.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's bizarre to a lot of us who actually do it. <laughs> I actually do it. <laughs> it's still bizarre to me, too. I'm like, I can't. It's okay. I love my weekday <laughs> weekend off half and yeah. half. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. So I like to ask all of my guests this question towards the end of the episode, but what are you looking forward to this week?
1: <laughs> I am looking forward to this week. Well... This week, a week from today, I'm hosting a little get together for my whole family, my side and my husband's side, and so we're. I'm excited to make food for everybody. Nice, that's what I'm looking forward to.
0: It's just more food, food all the time, all day, every day. (laughs) Well, Mona, is there anything that you would like to plug or any resources you would like to share with people or any events coming up?
1: Yeah. So September 1st, I have a brunch pop-up in Russian Hill. It's called the Tea Party in Jerusalem. Oh my gosh. Um... And you can buy tickets for that already. I have a website, Valahadining.com, F A L L A H A D I N I N G dot com. Mm-hmm. That can link you to the website to buy tickets. And you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Mona Lena and that's Lena with two E's.
0: Perfect. Well, Chef Mona, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. This has been so much fun, and your food was delicious. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Take some home with you. Oh, I will. (laughs) Well, to learn more about Chef Mona's work and other topics we've covered on this episode... Head over to our website, BrilliantBabesPodcast.com, where you can also listen to previous episodes, check out our event calendar, and get the recipes for the dishes we make for each episode. Today's recipe was Chef Mona Lina's Traditional Palestinian Hummus. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and stay tuned for episodes every other Tuesday. Take care, everyone.